0: Welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. Today on the pod, I talk to a friend of mine who's serving in the Middle East and in true Practical Missions Podcast fashion, we talk about raising your family in the Middle East, children's education, ministering as a couple, finding the balance of rest and work, but we also talk about the importance of identity in work and why it's important not to just be an eternal language learner to actually have something to do that is giving to society so we're bringing something impactful for society as well as uh, the gospel message i think you're really going to benefit from today's podcast so stay with us welcome to the podcast i have thought about having you on for a long time so i'm glad to finally have you on And uh, you just walk me through, I would love to hear a little bit of your story, how you ended up in the Middle East. Uh, What's your story? Yeah.
1: Um, Thank you for having me. We, or I, always thought growing up, if I'm going to be a missionary, I'm going to be an inland, like within the country I grew up missionary because there's so much need. And then I went on a two-week short-term mission trip with the organization we are actually with today, organized by our youth group or by my youth group. And uh, we went to Romania and um, it's, I don't know, it just showed me that there's such a different level of need in different countries that from that moment onwards, I was pretty much hooked. Definitely to do something bigger during my gap year between finishing high school, doing some civil service I had one and a half years of gap year eventually because the university was already full and then decided instead of doing a half a year, I'm going to do one and a half years and was able to go to a ship, which a book ship, which goes from port to port. And during that time, God shaped my life in many different ways. One, that's where my long-term mission calling developed. Mm -hmm. It was a process. It wasn't a one night thing or somebody said something it was just seeing many different cultures in southeast asia all around there we went to 13 countries during my time and also living with lots of different nations on board and yeah just seeing the poverty in in the philippines or <clears throat> yeah it was it was really life-changing for me and there i was also assigned to the engine room which was my last choice but it was really <laughs> a good, it was terrible. In many moments, but it really taught me so much, specifically in the area of character and also in the area of serving unseen, that I think has really, I have really benefited from, and... On top of it all, I met my wife during that time. Wow. And she has had a long term mission calling for almost her whole life, I think, if you would ask her. And so when we got together, it was kind of clear one day we will go into long term missions. However, um, we knew that first we need to study, both went back to our home countries after a time on the ship, um, had a long distance relationship for two years and then got married, and then she moved. She's from a different continent. She moved to my continent, and we had five years in my home country where I finished my studies, and then she later finished her studies online and um, started looking into options for where to go. And I really liked Southeast Asia during my time on the ship, but nothing seemed to fit. We specifically looked into other organizations and as well, because we didn't want to just go the easy way and go back to the one we knew. Um, And nothing fit. And we ended up back with the organization we knew. And the Lord took us on a journey we did not expect or an area we did never expect to go to, like the Middle East. And I haven't had any experience with Muslims, nor a desire to work among them. But the Lord just took us step by step. Like, we went to a, first, to a country first, that was a big step, but then we actually moved after two and a half years, and went to another country, I thought, I'm never going to live with a family, that's crazy, and that's where we are now, and we are very happy, and it's very family-friendly, and we are definitely in the right place at the
0: moment. Wow, amen to that, and what does your family look like right now?
1: So now we have four kids, eight, six, four, and two, wow. and two girls, two boys.
0: Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And I want to come back to your family here in a minute, but I, I just want to circle back to this idea of serving unseen. You were talking about in the engine room, the value, yeah. you learned the value of serving unseen. And I think this is so important, especially on the mission field, because I think a lot of missions work is not in the spotlight at all, especially in hard to places like in in countries we live in where it's not even kind of legal to be outspoken about what we're what we're doing tell me more about serving unseen and what the value of that is on the mission field
1: yeah maybe let's circle back to the ship for a moment like it just the the verse from colossians was all over the engineer you know like whatever you do do it unto the, unto the lord mm. and not for people um and i just knew you know if i don't clean this spot of heavy oil in a night shift where I'm just <laughs> trying to sleep, nobody is gonna notice hmm. right now. But in the long term, the ship won't be able to sail because it won't get the permits. So the gospel won't f- be furthered that hmm. way. It really spurred me on to to be a, a good servant, to do it without expecting much from others. I'm kind of, I do better when people see me, <laughs> like I perform better. Yeah. Um, I play a lot of violin on the ship as well. And um, like I thrive in the environment of being seen. And so the Lord really knew where I needed to learn a lesson. Um, and uh, yeah, up to today, I mean, you know, when, when my daughter has a dirty diaper or whatever um, and you need to change it, like nobody is gonna praise you for that in the moment at all. but uh, it's just part of the part of the package for now or just so many little jobs that specifically wives also often do that are so underrated because nobody sees it or they don't get praised for it. But if it doesn't happen on a regular basis, you're going to have to go back eventually or i don't know your kids get sick or there's always a consequence in the long run
0: i think when it comes to missions as well i think there is like this two there's this two sided aspect of it where one side like when we're back in our home countries and we're sharing in home groups or from the platform at a church we're telling these incredible stories, you know, about like <laughs> these exotic stories about what we've seen and people we've met and things we've experienced God doing in people's lives or in our own lives. And it all sounds like it all sounds big and exciting and glittery. But actually, the, I, I think that the day to day aspect of missions is, is more sidelines than spotlight. Do you know what I mean?
1: Very true, very true. Specifically learning a language. And I mean, you know, that part you just jump over when you talk about um, doing a Bible study in another language or whatever. You just jump over two years of intense work. And then you spread (laughs) that story.
0: Yeah, and I think as well when it comes to sharing your faith with people, developing relationships with people, and discipling people, so the entire process, it's... It's hundreds and hundreds of hours of investing in people that, you know, 99% of it can't be put into a newsletter. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. So many ups and downs, so many oil leaks to clean.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden there's a baptism or something that you can share. And then that's what you share. But the long yeah, to get there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's right, and it sounds like there's baptisms happening every day. But there's not. <laughs> yeah. When you said your, you mentioned that your wife has had a calling into long term missions since before she even met you, which is, I think, incredible. And that you were both maybe thinking about where, where you're going to go and you ended up in the Middle East. What is, what does calling look like for you and your wife? Is there a, is there a lopsidedness in the calling? Has the sense of calling changed after you've had children and maybe your roles? are different now than maybe you, may, than maybe one would think they would be when they're 18 years old and sense of calling into missions. Yeah,
1: calling is a very interesting topic. Um, I think my wife felt drawn to Africa, even mm. though she's never been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I felt drawn to Southeast Asia. Um, but she we met in Southeast Asia. So then we started looking into that and realized... It just like the lord didn't open the doors like he has in order for us to join the ships so once we let go of okay just because we said we're going to go into long-term missions and because we like southeast asia let's just let go and that's when he stepped in from a completely different angle like Mm. and it was together that's the beauty of it the process then was together into a region the middle east that we both didn't feel comfortable with before and so the whole process was basically done together and in certain moments she was more on board in certain moments i was more on board with the ideas but all in all looking for a place we already had two kids by then Um, we knew that i'm going to be the one doing most of the work but she also needs to have a, a place so since my since my wife is a native english teacher there was lots of options you know go teach english but she was like, we don't need to go to a place where I can teach English, but you have nothing. So mm. let's go to a place where you have a main thing and I can always teach English or whatever where we are. Um, that was her her point of view that we then ended up actually looking towards work with refugees. And that has changed again. You know, this is interesting how the Lord just took us step by step and shaped our calling and changed it in ways that if it had been told, like if I had been told let's say seven years ago you're going to be in the country where, you, where we are now, doing what I am doing now, I would have said no way. Like hmm. I have no experience in that. I need to learn two languages and <laughs> uh, that place is dangerous and I will have four kids there? No. <laughs> hmm. So the Lord just changed our hearts in a, in a way that the steps he took us, we were able to agree to. Had it been from zero to a hundred, no way. But because he took us through those medium, like intermediate steps, it was really doable. And we can see the gods leading very clearly.
0: I'm just curious to know about expectations, you know, like were there, what was the difference between expectations and reality when you were coming into the Middle East? Did you do? You, do you feel like you had a lot of false expectations of what it would be like?
1: Well, a year before we actually moved, we did a vision trip, and the team leaders they did, did a really good job. They basically let us stay with them for one night, and then we rented an apartment and had to buy our own food and wow. do a lot of, of ourselves. So then um, we had 10 days of pretty much living where we will be living, like that village that we were going to move to, the same place. Hmm. Um, and it was terrible like <laughs> <laughs> like it was, there was so many uncomfortable things um and yeah we had one kid by then <clears throat> she got sick and it was like a big reality check wow and actually one night we sat down we made a list of okay let's just be realistic about this Let's make a list of the things that um, are similar to uh, where we're living right now. Things that are worse and things that are going to be better. So, of course, the list of things that are going to be worse or more like harder or less comfortable was very long. The next evening, we went through the same list and basically made a um, check through every point. Is this? How is this affecting our kids? Mm. And is it? Is it a? fasting from something or is it actually hunger from something with long-term effects Mm. we were really inspired by a survey by i think michael O is his name called missions as fasting how like the church is fasting from you you're fasting from your relationship with your parents and church and friends your parents are fasting from the grandparents relationship like there's a lot of um, fasting going on in that sense yeah
0: interesting yeah
1: we realized that all of the points um we could gladly say yes it is going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be a sense of fasting but none of them are affecting our kids nor us in a way that we're going to have long-term negative effects uh, like hunger would be you know Hmm. Um, and then when we came a year later a lot of the things from the negative list turned into positives. Wow can you give me an example of of that? I, I mean it's really small day-to-day examples you know like we thought we're not gonna have a dishwasher
0: Aha. Um,
1: so we got a dishwasher we thought we're not able to buy a car because you need a residency permit in order to buy a car well there was a way to get residency permit, and there was a way to buy a car
0: Wow!
1: yeah it was a really long list i actually think i have it in one of my bibles somewhere um, and it was very very encouraging to see how the lord really um, provided and we had an amazing apartment and enough support. Well, the first years were challenging, but generally, like, you know, being dependable financially, like things like that, where like you have a regular income at home. And then the Lord just provides you with even more than you need. Mm. A lot of encouraging stories like that. And uh, it made our, our start fairly smooth because a lot of things were actually better than our expectations was.
0: Wow! Amen, amen. That's so encouraging, and I like the idea that you guys wrote, wrote down like took the time and wrote down these these lists. I think that's so mm-hmm. cool. Actually, as you're processing how to do it, and I'm wondering, you know, when they put you in this house after one night staying with a host family, and then they put you in a. In a oh, in an apartment by yourselves, I'm wondering: was this strategy or was this just laziness? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a cool idea, though. I love that.
1: I think their house, but at that time, their house was really small, um, and we basically the three of us were in their daughter's room for the first night. So that was one reason, but it was a lot of strategy in it. She had a lot of experience and she she knew exactly what she was doing.
0: I think it's such a cool thing that a lot of these areas that you thought were going to be a negative turned out to be a positive. I think it's such a blessing. I think God is so good when we're able to see in these things. I've experienced stuff like that myself. I think I'm experiencing things like that even at the moment in my own living situation. Things I thought were going to be very challenging uh, God is using in, in God is using and blessing in ways I, I never imagined. So yeah, I, amen. I think that's such a a good thing to a good perspective to have in our mind. The experience helps
1: to deal with future challenges, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's right. Amen. Wow. You know, I've been on the field for you know, 15 years Ever. or whatever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like it. I've been in the Middle East for almost 15 years and I've been in the in the Middle East doing ministry as a single person for 15 years and I really struggle to imagine doing ministry as a family and or as a couple and then adding four kids to the mix. Um I'm one and I wonder like do you and your wife do things together as a couple? Do you do ministry together? What does that look like for you guys?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And we kind of reevaluate that every year. It's interesting how we have had very different weekly schedules every year almost. It changes drastically. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> like we just put our kids into a, our older two kids into a school after homeschooling for two years. So that changed things again. Okay. But
0: interesting. All in
1: all, we don't do very much together. We lead our team together. Um, So that's beautiful. That gives us something we do together. Yeah, that comes with, you know, meetings and responsibilities that we can share. But most other things um, we do separately. Also language we've been doing separately. We wanted to do language together in the very beginning where we were on the same level. But they couldn't find a teacher who was actually allowed or willing to teach a man um and so i had to go with ah wow yeah so i was i was actually we were at the same house at the same time but i was studying with the father and my wife was studying with the daughter which was good looking back but i wished in the beginning we would be together at least for the first few phases but even then like for the second language we've been learning here we did it separate from the start because we started at different Times plus taking turns with the kids sometimes. Yeah, it it's challenging, uh, really challenging. Like, when do you take your kids along? Where when do you need to kind of protect them from being having their (laughs) cheeks squeezed all the time and overdosing (laughs) sugar? Um, so just things we had to also learn, you know, how relaxed are we about the overdosing on sugar when you do a local visit altogether or what are the consequences at home when we do let them just eat. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of every, every year we, we adjust a little bit. Um, and again, this year is totally different from last year, but it's a blessing to have two in school and with the little ones only growing up, not having another baby. Um, so our youngest is two and a bit now. We're realizing there's slowly more freedom again. And that's really good for both of us, that the super intense time is slowly coming to an end.
0: Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Congratulations on moving out of the super intense phase. <laughs> Thank you. How did you guys make the decision to put your kids into regular school? I think children's education is a super big topic for families. Obviously, it's a massive topic. You don't want to... Uh, Disadvantage your children in any way living overseas or living in, you know, underdeveloped countries? How did you guys decide to take your kids out of homeschool and put them into regular school?
1: Um, Our daughter was in in an international school for kindergarten just before COVID hit. Um, And it was generally a good experience, but it was a bit too far. And then when COVID hit, they closed everything for one and a half years. So we knew that homeschooling is the only way that we can provide a stable education for her my wife was homeschooled so she she knew kind of what it will be like for me it was a bit more of a challenge but I did actually do 20 minutes a a day with my daughter doing my um, mother tongue and like teaching her my mother tongue as well our son the second child he has a very strong personality and we struggled imagining what it would be like to be his teacher and parent so that was one thing that we were like okay let's look around again because he started into grade Mm. one and just in time basically this beautiful school started up brand new school which is totally geared towards missionaries we looked into it it's not a very cheap but we really get a lot for what we pay we feel like it's it's very small it's a hybrid approach you can have them at home two days if you want or at least three days they need to go Um, so we usually have Tuesdays at home and the four days they're at school and then you just do the homework at at home Um, which is a cool really flexible approach and it's very small classrooms they are extremely adjust like adjusting very well to whatever needs the kids have and we really love it so far
0: praise god for People who have, like, the vision and the capacity to do things like that, you know? Uh, Yes. Yeah, praise God for people who leave their home countries and start schools for missionary kids, you know? Wow, God bless them. I think one of the hardest things about family is especially when you have family with the uh, when you have children who are younger in age but i think in general one of the hardest things with christian families is having rhythms of discipleship in your own house even though this sounds strange it sounds like it would be the most intuitive thing ever i think it's a real challenge and a real struggle for households for couples or for families to pray together, to read together, to do anything intentional together because you're Living together, you know, you're always with each right. other. So it's like it's almost like it can it can seem almost unnatural to pray together or to read together. Do you guys have any spiritual rhythms in your house? Family worship time or prayer time? Or have you guys tried and failed at anything <laughs> there?
1: Oh yes, a lot of failure. Um <laughs> like you try to do worship or prayer and it just turns into ten minutes of screaming. Um <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah just
1: absolute chaos (laughs) yeah Um, yeah we've tried to have a regular weekly family devotion time which um, it keeps it doesn't happen it's very hard to keep that in but we have really managed so we usually eat together as a team once a week and then have a team meeting Mm -hmm. once the kids are in bed and we actually started about a year ago we started doing worship before the kids go to bed together with them and of course, it often mm-hmm. is songs as well, but we do mix in adult songs as well. And last, um, at the last meeting, we actually even um, mixed in praying with each other. So that's beautiful because they were kind of, you know, in this with six adults and just our kids, and then just having that time of. Uh, thanking God through songs and also through prayer. That's beautiful. But what we do is that every night, before we we sing three songs, but before we th- sing three songs together with the kids, we do ask every kid what they're thankful for. And then. Mm, wow, yeah. And then we pray. So that's beautiful because that happens every night and it's something that we don't forget to do because the kids also ask to do it. Mm. But like having a devotion time, they're. Just getting to that age, I guess, where we can slowly think about seriously doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you sing three songs together as like a family every night before you go to bed. Yes,
1: we also sing usually before mealtimes. That's kind of a wow. tradition from my com- country.
0: <laughs> wow, very interesting. And what kind? I know you're you're a musical person. Your wife is a your wife is a musical person as well, right? Yeah,
1: she is. Yeah, we both play violin.
0: Does it play a role in your ministry? or How do you how do you use uh, music as a family or as a team?
1: Uh, the violins have really been asleep a lot recently.
0: They've been asleep? Yeah,
1: we haven't used the violins much <laughs> okay. at all. My wife is teaching one American girl who lives here. But other than that, yeah, there's not that many opportunities to play at. And when there's no opportunity, I don't just take it out and play. But I do play a lot of guitar uh, with the team. Um, and then sometimes with the kids and my daughters learning how to play piano. And mostly what we do is sing together. Uh, like I said, you know, just without an instrument Or yeah. bedtime, before mealtime. We have these home pods where the kids can just turn on any music through Hey Siri command. And uh, it was really, it's really funny how they kind of just turn on random music and start dancing to it or whatever. Um, so that's been beautiful as well to just have a lot of music in the house. Because the kids can kind of turn on, turn it on themselves, you know, without having to type anything.
0: I think another big topic is rest. Mm. I think this is a huge topic. It's difficult for, it can be difficult for cross-cultural workers to find healthy rhythms of rest. I think for single men, for single women, and for families, I think all of it uh, can be challenging. What yeah. do you guys do for rest? How have you guys? found uh healthy rhythms of rest. So.
1: Yeah, so what we've been encouraged to do and actually really stuck to is that we have one day a week that we call family day. We usually don't do any visits, often not even with other foreigners or we have a lot of neighbors that end up in our house every day for, for some reason, but we try to kind of hmm. limit that on family day. Um and we mostly limit it by leaving <laughs>
0: uh by going Yeah.
1: Like we try to go on little um, nature adventures where we just kind of get out there and put up a hammock, make a fire. Or if it's gross, go to an indoor playground, just get away, have time. When I'm home, I always see a project like, oh, this needs to be fixed or that needs to be done in the garden. Mm -hmm. So it's good for us to get away. And the same thing as well for when we actually have vacation. Vacationing at home is tricky. So we try to, to get away um, because it focuses ourselves differently, we can yeah just be kind of more focused on each other instead of, oh, which kid could come and play or who could I go to play? <laughs> and that has been beautiful um, that we have really been able to explore a lot and find some cool places that um, we just stumbled upon on our little daily, no, weekly adventures.
0: So when you say get away, you mean that you get away from your house, you get away maybe from your... Your immediate community? You're not, you're not talking about getting out of the country? No, no, no. Yeah.
1: So on family day, we just, you know, sometimes like maybe drive half an hour, sometimes maybe an hour uh, and, and get to a place where there's water in the summer or we get into snow when it's winter or just into nature. Uh-huh. We have some beautiful nature near. Um, But we do need to drive a little bit like it will be hard to get to without a car or like, yeah, go to a mall and use an indoor playground if it's really cold or really hot. Just kind of going away for half the day or even the whole day.
0: Yeah, I think that intentionality is so important. I think a lot of times when we think of rest, we think of not doing anything. Right. But not doing anything is never restful. And like good, healthy rest doesn't come without intention. It sounds almost a bit counterintuitive, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: And it also depends on the personality, I guess, and on the life stage. Like, you know, I cannot just be home and read a book for half the day. Like, it's impossible around the kids. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's more restful when we go to a place where they are happy and then I can lay in the hammock for 10 minutes or whatever, you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we noticed that, specifically our second one um, when he's outside we have to, like, there's like no um, arguments that between him and us and so that's really beautiful to just see how he thrives mm. in the open, open space wild, just being able to be loud and dirty and whatever it comes with being outside.
0: (laughs) I think that's so cool that you guys have, you know, that you guys are thinking about uh, your kids and what's going to be best for them, even when it comes to rest, you know, maybe just that running around and getting dirty is the best kind of rest your kids can get.
1: It really is. Yeah,
0: I'm always interested in the kind of dangers and pitfalls we run into as workers on the field. I I think it's interesting to think about this uh, on-field attrition where maybe we come out and our, you know, our dream is church planting, uh, evangelism, sharing the gospel with people who've never heard it before. But with time, you know, it gets exhausting and tired and a lot of setbacks, a lot of unanswered prayers or unfulfilled dreams in those areas. And we end up you know, teaching English or teaching something. And, we, you know, we're just kind of like, well, in a sense, you know, we just never, you know, we're just working a job and, you know, have kind of left our first love or kind of burnt out maybe from our first love of <laughs> investing in people and doing discipleship or whatever. Uh, I think also there can be with, with families, it, like the the actual aspect of running a family can take up so much time because it actually yes takes more energy to raise your kids on the field than perhaps it does in the west uh where things are a bit easier and there are more things things in place to make it easier for you easier for you to raise your your kids uh and and our energy can be put like so much energy can be put into raising a family that we have very little left for visiting local people or investing in relationships with with local people or or maybe it's the exact opposite where it's like, I don't have time for my family, because I'm, you know, I'm running a business, I'm doing a ministry, I'm discipling people, I'm trying to learn the language, I'm doing all these things, you know. Mm -hmm. So I find like, like, like understanding how we avoid some of these pitfalls uh, to be uh, fascinating and how a helpful discussion, what have been kind of the pitfalls, maybe you've seen in yourself, or maybe you've seen You know, as you as you hear stories from other workers uh, and what do you do to avoid those?
1: Half a year ago, our member care came to visit member care personnel and uh, he made a very interesting statement. He was like, you know, anybody can disciple your disciples, but only you can raise your kids. Mm. Um, And that really struck me. It's not that I didn't know it before. It just was put into nice words. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and kind of refocused our priorities, I guess. One of the biggest struggles has been to have time alone with my wife, like date nights, maybe outside of the house. It's been one of the biggest struggles ever ever since we moved to the field. and keeps being hard as well, actually. Um, But we try to take intentional time at least, you know, together at home once a a night, once a week at night, sorry, um, where we don't do anything else. Other than spending time together, Um, but in regards to the kids, they just yeah they suck up a lot of your time in in a a way (laughs)
0: yeah,
1: Um, and it's very natural. So my wife and I have gotten pretty good at taking turns. Okay, now you you are able to go do whatever, and I'm with the kids or the other way around. There have been moments where we try, where we felt like, oh, we should both kind of be around, and they both do something else, and are half with the kids, half not with the kids. Um, but now we we have a pretty good schedule where um, we know, like, Wednesdays is my wife's day, and I'm with the littles, and she's out doing mm-hmm. lesson and uh, meeting with with friends and doing visits, so that she can really get that time out there as well, because she sometimes does feel a bit trapped with. "Quote unquote," only having the kids as her responsibility—it's um, mm-hmm. beautiful responsibility. But um, like we, she learned the language as well. Like she wants to use it. Mm. Yeah, and in regards to the church planting vision, I I always struggled a bit with that part at first. Like I, when I came out to the field, I was more—I'm I'm a social worker from background—and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: really was excited to like help the refugees on a, on a holistic level. And I still really like the holistic approach as well, where you help people not just on spiritual, but on different levels, so that they can actually listen to you and are not just hungry. <laughs> but through the years in the field, my heart for church planting grew really, really deeply and into a, a way or a practice of doing it in a way that actually I feel comfortable with. I never felt comfortable mm-hmm. with like starting a, an established church and then being a pastor um, also don't have a theological background for that but being able to just lead a bible study in a group and encourage others to to grow up in leadership that's really beautiful and i, I love it but it comes with with other challenges of course we moved here to our second country within the middle east uh, in order for me to take over managing um, relief and development projects the projects i'm um, overseeing are all in the hand of local believers from different backgrounds and it's it was a it's a great role to have however it could kind of or it kind of started to turn into you know me sharing the stories that they have with people Uh, because this was my most of my it took most of my time but i wasn't actually with the people i was mostly just with the believers so the last two years we started using social media as well to to do our own outreach and just recently started another project in hydroponics in order to really engage ourselves more with people as well and not just be the middleman between a donor organization and the local partners running the project and reaching out to people so i haven't had the i i didn't fall into the pitfall yet of getting tired of that part
0: <laughs> you mentioned this hydroponics project tell me a little bit about your thoughts about identity and for the work for workers in hard places or maybe even what what it, what is a hard place we we're talking before we push record like yeah different people have different ideas of what what it means to minister in a hard place but i would love to hear your thoughts on uh identity the workers identity and how for you hydroponics is playing a role in that
1: yeah so being the Like we get our um, residency permits through a local church, which is great that it works. But I'm very aware that maybe one day it won't um, because it's Mm. a unique situation. And in the neighboring city, like same country, neighboring city, it already doesn't work anymore. Um, So for Mm. some reason, they don't talk too much with each other, I guess, or (laughs) they don't align their uh, laws. But anyways, um, it's it's. Fairly easy to get a residency permit where we are, but all around us it's very hard, which means a lot of foreigners end up here and are trying to reach into the harder places. And I've been observing how some people um, reach into the harder places using like kind of fake platforms, or even here on the ground, here in the country, using fake platforms. And I'm really starting to get tired of that idea of being a forever tourist or having. Like language studies as your identity for like seven years you know
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah
1: and then you're starting to disciple people and what do they they look at you as as um, their example and what am i doing in their eyes in their country yes i'm sharing the gospel but how do i support my like i'm supported from the outside okay but what do i actually do in the country am i just home all the time sometimes I have a meeting or just what can they see in me that is uh, healthy for them to reproduce in a way so hydroponics we just started two months ago I started really digging into the theory of it six months ago but it's been fascinating me for years um, and it mm. it's turning into something that really I think can be used as a as a, a way to get access into harder places. Harder places in the sense of, let's say, even though it's easy to get a residency permit here in the city, in a village, it's basically impossible. But we're hoping mm. to, we're hoping to um, use our systems and make them very low-key and affordable so that others can reproduce them. And then maybe we can coach them into setting it up and maybe do weekly visits, and that way get access into villages or homes that um, would not with a natural way that gives that makes sense to them why I'm here and what I can bring to the country and also that really is something that they benefit from and eventually maybe the country benefits from because we have huge water issues here as well and it's it's something tangible that comes together with with me being able to go with a real reason to visit that person other than just wanting to open the bible with them i mean just in quote unquote but you know sometimes it feels like even even local um believers tell me often you know i cannot visit that family every week without a food bag i need to have an entry Mm. point if it's a food i'm really getting tired of food bags we actually stopped a lot of food distributions this this these past months because it was burning so much money and not that much um spiritual output And it's also money from the outside. That's the other reason why I'm really excited about this, because we're hoping that we can sustain the hydroponics project eventually from income that's generated from within the country. The projects I've been running, it's about half a million dollars a year that um, I've been in charge of. So a lot of money, but everything depends on the donor. So it stops or starts depending on the donors, and we really see that maybe this new project here it needs some startup expenses, but eventually it can hopefully be um, sustainable with actually locally generated income.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm I'm just wondering about uh, as you're working kind of in the NGO world and you're working with I mean for me half a million dollars is a, is a, a, ma- a massive sum of it money. Is. Uh, and you're and you're working with a lot of money and you're doing distribution and you're in contact with I don't know hundreds of families or whatever it is how do you gauge success or yeah how do you how do you decide if this is something you want to keep investing in
1: yeah the food distributions were all also run through local partners so I haven't been in touch with most of the beneficiaries directly but uh, I I couldn't identify with those uh, leaders project leaders anymore as well as there was lots of conflict over the years but specifically just um in the state the country is in like a food bag is just not the answer to to their needs anymore Um, the donors kind of see it as this this is an entry point like it gives access to this village but um ten thousand dollars every six weeks for access to one village, um, I, I don't think we're good stewards anymore. So we mm. decided to hand those distributions back to the donor organizations and they can do them directly with the partners if they want to continue. But I cannot with a good conscience continue. Uh, so more than half of that budget I mentioned actually is not in my hands anymore because we handed it back to the donor's organization. But we do continue with like trauma center and the mobile clinic projects that as well Bring something to the beneficiaries that is a bit longer lasting than a food bag. Yeah, it really makes a difference in their in their holistic and a holistic difference in their lives.
0: Yeah, I think you know we're all we're all kind of in this together, trying to extend the borders of the glory and and fame and dignity of the name of God. Yeah. Uh, in places you know where He's not yet known and. I feel like we're everybody's just kind of trying something, whether it's food bags or hydroponics or whatever it may be, teaching English. Yeah. Uh, I heard a guy the other day he wants to start a library in some city. Okay. <laughs> you know. Uh there's some unreached city in the region. And I thought, wow, that's a unique I've never I've never heard of that one. That's a unique <laughs> approach. Uh-huh. You know, we're all looking for thing, I, I think maybe they're called people of peace. <laughs> Do you <laughs> like this? Do you like that segue? into people of peace. Yes. Yeah, I have heard I've heard you've given a, a good talk or you give a good talk about people of peace. Let me just okay, let me just say this. I I find that, you know, over the last 15 years I've gone through a ton of trainings, a lot of theory, and I've often found the theory to be unhelpful on the ground, you know? Yeah. Uh, I I haven't found any people of peace, I found characters of chaos. You know, most of the most of the people that that God is saving in my sphere of influence are not people of influence. Yeah. Are they are they are on the fringes of society? They're people with undereducated, underemployed, immature, emotionally immature. Lots of. Maybe mental health issues, but these are the people God in His glorious sovereignty seems to be putting His name on and saying, "I'm not ashamed to identify with you." Tell me a little bit about maybe where my misunderstanding misconceptions of people of peace are, and uh, what your thoughts are on the subject. I would love to hear kind of from the people of peace expert on on, <laughs> on the topic
1: yeah i wouldn't consider myself an expert um it's been the first and only time so far i've been asked to help lead a training in it the one that you mentioned because i was asked to help with the training i dug more into the matter and also talked with a friend who's linked with an actual movement here in the country i got a lot of good insights from him that was really helpful. A year ago, I became friends with a Westerner who is a friend to the leader of to the local leader of a an existing movement here in the country, and it's been very insightful to learn from his direct link. He's actually writing a book about the story of how the movement came to be. One big thing that I that I think is very important in in the area of people of peace is that yes they exist and yes we should look for them but it's not this magical perfect person that is just waiting there to be discovered you know and that's i think where the misconceptions are because then you never find them and you always think oh
0: yeah
1: (laughs) but i was really encouraged to hear how the leader of this movement um you know like 15 years ago he probably didn't tick a lot of the boxes of being a person of peace at all. But over mm. the years, grew into this role. And I think that's the key point of when we, um, when we see people that are open and maybe even sharing, or they're not even sharing yet, the expectation that they're sharing is also very high, You know that we try to look for people to share from the very beginning. It's beautiful when they do, but it's, it's so hard to do in the very beginning specifically and some do and maybe they are really like ticking the boxes of people of peace but some might also just start sharing after five years of being a a secret believer um, because something changes in their in their understanding um, and that's okay but i think the important thing is that we don't Give up on people just because we they don't tick all the boxes of a person of peace, and that we really remain in in discipleship and friendship with them, and walk the road and encourage them in their struggles. Yeah, one day maybe they they will be more in that image that we have of a person of peace. But even if not, I mean, as long as they, um, I mean, we we probably don't take a lot of these boxes either, you know but
0: uh, no. <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs>
1: but uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have an impact for Jesus. So um, yeah, I like the teaching on it and it's important. however it can be overdone and as you said, a lot of theory can be unhelpful and that's I think where the pitfall is. Uh, and then it actually holds us back or we are just discouraged because we haven't found them.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Looking for this mystical unicorn that doesn't exist, but God <laughs> has. But God has given you uh, people right in right in front of you. Are there things uh, – like I've noticed with discipleship uh, that, A, it's the hardest thing about the job. Discipleship is by far the hardest thing about, yeah. for me, about being a cross-cultural worker and it's never up and to the right. You know, it's so messy and so sloppy. It's so slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be so discouraging because you're dealing with, you know, real people. You're not dealing with some sort of algorithm. You know, you can just type in, you know, the outcome right. you want and boom, boom, boom. You know, there it is. Right. What have, what have you learned about discipleship and the, the messiness of it or how i don't know how to set your own expectations
1: yeah i think one huge mess is whenever money is involved and because i'm involved in some of the projects a lot of money has been involved and also observing other foreigners um using like either food bags or money the huge danger of um like raising rice christians so to speak um i think
0: that's the biggest what's a what's a rice christian i've never heard this term
1: Oh, apparently, um, it's a it's a term from that comes from China, where people become believers because they get rice, or because they get food, or wow, they, because they get yeah, money.
0: Okay, yeah. Um,
1: and so that's a huge danger that I see here, um, because there are a lot of um, NGOs here, and even some Christian organizations that just use money within groups, within paying leaders, and food bags. And it makes it so messy that uh, that's one thing I really want to stay out of. But at the same time, you know, when you do have a disciple who is, like you said, uh, economically persecuted or has huge issues, like, how do you start? And so that's also one of the huge motivations by the local pastor of our church here is involved in the hydroponics project himself, because he sees a lot of people or Muslims that come to faith and then are economically persecuted and then a foreigner or a church starts dumping money on them out of just because they need it, and then they end up drinking or using it for something else because it's not linked with mm. work. I think I'm going a bunny trail off a bunny trail from your question, but it's just on my heart to to mention that as well. I I really hope that we can create work for for people like that. Um, so it's not just money, but linked with. Uh, an actual thing that they do and um learn but back to your question so i don't have a ton of experience yet in discipleship um but the 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 guy i'm currently discipling it's very interesting is actually the opposite of what you said he's very oh
0: wow praise god (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: and the beauty of that is that I don't have to, you know, worry about him economically. It's more on the spiritual side. of He's afraid because of the influence. Like he's second in charge of a ministry here. He is, uh, has six kids. Uh, some live in Germany. His wife fasts twice a week, um, so he's very afraid of. I guess through his status, maybe what he, the things he can lose. His wife after. is
0: obviously. Uh, his wife is obviously a Muslim. She is. Yeah.
1: But it's been very beautiful to see. He has a lot of freedom to come to my house or to meet or to meet at a restaurant. He even once actually wanted to go to church as well. Um, I was surprised yeah. about that step, but he, he did. But it's beautiful to see how the Lord has been working in his heart. And I really hope that one day he um, will have a big reach because of the influence he has. He has like 1,300 employees basically within the uh,
0: wow. ministry.
1: And so it's it's a very it's a big privilege to be part of this journey with him, but I don't know yet what's to come, you know, he's sometimes very busy sometimes we meet weekly, sometimes we meet monthly, depending on his or our schedule as well but mm. the the obstacle to share is, is pretty big, but last time he actually brought a friend, which was really exciting to to study together, so yeah, um, I don't have too much experience with discipling the messiness um, but through the projects I've seen a lot of that um, mm. Yeah, I was kind of with the discipler, but I wasn't the main person. But it's so hard whenever money gets involved, I think, and it's so hard not to have money involved. And you see how desperate they are. So I think that.
0: Yeah, it's such a conundrum, isn't it? Yes, where you there is real need, and the assumption is like immediately supplying the need is going to be what's most helpful, but. Oftentimes, it's not. It creates these what you're calling rice Christians. Yes. I go to a little Arab church in the country where I live, and one of our elders works in the country where you're at. And he goes to uh, a church there, and I said, uh, How are things going in the church over there in that country, you know? And he said, The church is completely ruined uh, mm-hmm. because of money. Yeah. Uh, and I was shocked by that. Uh, you know, this is a, a very mature Arab Christian uh, saying that. What what What's going on with the yeah. church and with money? And how, how did that happen? What does that look like? Yeah,
1: so um, there are Arab-speaking churches here. And then there's uh, this other people group that um, they had actually had a, established a church maybe 10, 12 years ago that grew pretty rapidly and was all official and registered. And Um, One of the buildings they used is where my kids are going to school now, actually. Um, Wow. And it's just empty. It's crazy. You know, the school is using the building now. So really sad story where it was locally led at first. And then um, different denominations from the West came and kind of started to pay different leaders and pastors and then they started to migrate to the west and one was against the other um so i i wasn't involved in this process just hearing about it it completely ripped it apart it was maybe a thousand members of the church altogether so pretty big for an established church in this mm. region you know and specifically yeah people this this language group it's a really sad story and the scars and the, this distrust between believers local believers is is still really really present and to this day here in my city there is no fellowship of that language group it's all mm. it's all in Arabic so that's really big real big challenge to to realize you know who is against who who doesn't trust who because of past experiences if you talk to local believers but like in order to maybe turn it around and shine some light on it like the movement that is just happening maybe two hours away from here um it's the total opposite where there is almost no foreigners involved mm-hmm. there's basically no involved and it's hundreds mm-hmm. of believers studying the work together wow amen that so encourages me to to see it's possible (laughs) without money Mm. it's possible without the church building um and it's it's really uh yeah i mean they they have issues of course but um it's it's spread into areas where foreigners could never go to um just by um reproducing each itself and also through migration of just natural migration and Mm. so we really pray that yeah local leaders may step up with the desire for their people group but i don't know if it's because of this past experience with the church that fell apart but money seems to be a very sensitive topic here in even more than in other places i feel but um Mm. so we're trying to be very careful careful with it it's one of the reasons why i also stopped some of the working with some of the project managers that I mentioned with the food distributions because they involve a lot of money in the groups and I cannot I cannot stand behind that anymore. And so i rather say I have no groups than I have a hundred groups, but it's fun- funded with outside funds. Does that make sense? Uh, it's two complete different stories and one is still there and barely has mm-hmm. a link to the West, but it's thriving and the other one completely shattered and fell apart.
0: Wow. Well, well, you you know it's good. I'm glad you brought up that second, the second kind of movement that's going on. We can end there on (laughs) a uh, yeah, on a note where we say yeah, you know the devil in uh, attacks the Church of Christ and tries to destroy it. Yeah. Uh, And God has his God has his plans, and uh, the gates of hell. And all the power of Satan cannot uh, ultimately uh, destroy God's plans to build His church on earth for the the glory of His own name and the praise of His Son for all of eternity. Amen to that. (laughs) You took the words right out of my mouth. Hey, man, it's been really good uh, spending this time with you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and what's going on in your life. I really appreciate it amen to that well i'm so glad you made it to the end of the podcast today thanks for being with me i'm gonna put a link to that sermon he mentioned earlier i think it was called fasting as mission so you can check that out you can go to the website pmpod.org and check out more and i just want to remind you as we are in this new year that it's okay to be normal